shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. I don't know, it's time to say it. It's the holiday season, and with the holiday season, here's your favorite present. It's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero, and here's the jolly one, the one and only, the only man that could take over for Chris Kringle, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing? Ho, 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 ho. I'm doing well, man. What did you just call me? <laughs> I called you a a relationship So what's going on down there in uh, Louisiana, Kelly? Oh man, it's uh, I'm getting just off the road for a few days, uh, having gotten back from uh, good conferences in Colorado and New Jersey, and and getting ready to uh, to head to Texas tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do our annual duck hunt and then do the Texas EMS conference, and that'll be the end of my traveling for the year. So I'm. I'm looking forward to it. I enjoy doing these conferences, man, but it's, uh, uh, I'll also enjoy sleeping in my own bed, not having to worry about a presentation I'm going to give in a, day, a few days. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know, getting home is going to be good. I, I've been gone from home since the uh, 18th of October, and I don't get home until the 23rd of November. Well, that's a that's the life of a jet setting consulting professional, right? That's right, man. I'm out uh, setting up community paramedicine all over the United States, and it's uh, keeping me hopping. But uh, let's go ahead and cut the uh, cut the chewing of the rag, and let's go ahead and do some <laughs> news. What do you got? Well, this uh, this week's news story comes out of Rockford, Illinois. Mercy Rockford Health System is launching a program called uh, the Physician Response, the MB1 Physician Response Program, uh, to put an ER doctor in the field to assist uh, EMS personnel in medical emergencies. Um, it's gonna, they're going to have a specially equipped uh, QRV uh, with equipment that's not typically carried on an ambulance, and of course, expertise that's not normally found on an ambulance to, uh, to augment those uh, EMS providers on those uh, occasional calls where where uh, more training and more expertise and equipment are needed. Uh, I think it's a pretty good thing, man. I've, I've uh, you know, I uh, had some familiarity with uh, or learned a little bit about Pittsburgh's system uh, as well when I took my critical care course at uh, at uh, Center for Emergency Medicine, Walt Soy's outfit there many years ago, and they're you know part of their their. Uh, uh, ED uh, residency program, uh, their EMS fellowship. They require these guys to uh, to man uh, the the uh, the fellowship candidates um, required to man a QRV and, and respond with EMS for I think a semester there. And, and I think that's a good thing. It, it, it gives gives emergency physicians a broader perspective uh, or a deeper perspective on on what EMS does and the challenges we face. And I think uh, I think the same will be hold true in in Rockford. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as we start to develop, you know, this this new transition, I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity for our, you know, for our allied health partners to get into the field and start to deliver, you know, care in the field. And I think this is a really great opportunity, not only for, you know, EMS, but for other professionals. And, you know, back in the old days, before electricity, everything was, <laughs> everything was home visits and everything we yeah. took care of patients in the community. And then they just got out of that habit and said, no, if you want me, go ahead and come to me. You know, I remember, you know, I was probably 10 years old in New York City, and my doctor was still making house calls to the house. Of course, we robbed him when he showed up, so that you know, that, <laughs> that probably changed this whole process as well. But, 
<laughs> you know, and I think now the more that we can get into the community uh, health perspective, I think that that's where we're going to go. And, you know, uh, by the time you and I get ready to retire, Kelly, uh, a lot of organizations are probably going to be community health agencies that sometimes have to do ambulance calls. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're, we're living in interesting times, uh, you know, where we're, we're actually seeing the metamorphosis of EMS uh, happen as we're, we're in the career and, and as we're practicing it. I know that EMS is far different now than it was even 10 years ago, and it's light years beyond what it was when I got into the profession. Um, and, and we're going to see it change even even more uh, in the near future. And and I think that, you know, where previously, you know, it's always been my experience that the, the vast majority of uh, emergency uh, physicians that I've encountered uh, had only a superficial understanding of, of the challenges that EMS uh, professionals face. Uh, and... You know, I can't help but think that, that uh, were physicians more directly involved, I mean, just physicians in general, not just your EMS medical directors, but emergency physicians more directly involved with, uh, with EMS care, not only would that strengthen uh, the care provided by, by paramedics and EMTs, um, but, you know, it, it gives potential medical policymakers uh, a, a better perspective on what our capabilities are and, and what we can, you know, what kind of things we can tweak and, and, and what we're capable of. And, and uh, I, I look forward, I would, hell, I wish we had it in our area. Well, I think it's going to come. I mean, so don't worry about it not being there yet. And, and you know, the, this is the, you know, this is, you know, we're talking about a, a transformation that's been going on really since uh, 2006, 2007, 2009, yeah. and 10 is where it's really started to take off. And, you know, I would think within the next 24 months, uh, you know, you, you read EMS-1 and, and you see how many people are, are getting into the community paramedicine business. And, and I think it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be mainstream. You know, the National Association of EMTs is doing a great job of trying to get us some, some funding. So we're able to, uh, they just sent mm -hmm. a letter to CMS uh, just the other day, you know, to talk about uh, we need to be uh, considered when it comes to funding uh, for some of these initiatives. So I think you're going to see it. But uh yeah, let me go ahead and give you my story, and I think that I would yeah. be—I think we'd both be um, a little. Uh, it would be bad of us not to talk about what happened in Paris, and yes. um, you know, this is—you uh, know—during 9/11, one of the, the things that the the French president at the time said was, "Today we're all Americans," mm -hmm. and you know, I think that we can sympathize with the challenges that are going on uh, overseas, and uh, you know, 129 people were killed. In uh, several terrorist attacks, and we really need to be concerned about that now. And of course, we're hearing that uh, you know ISIS has plans uh, again to infiltrate the United States if they're not here already, and that they're going to be uh, uh, you know conducting some terrorist activities here on U.S. soil. But one of the things that I want to bring up, Kelly, and it, it became that it was unfounded, but uh, yesterday in the news. Uh, there was another soccer game that was going on, and the rumor came out across the wire that they found an ambulance filled with explosives uh, close to the venue. Yeah, this and, was the Hanover, Germany. And when I first heard that, um, I believed it. 
I thought, oh my God, you know, we we have to do a better job of securing our vehicles because, mm-hmm. you know, this is one of the things where we go into these scenes when this happens, and very easily someone could get their hands on an ambulance and do exactly what the you know the the thought was is fill it with explosives, bring it into the scene where first mm-hmm. responders are delivering care, and now you've got a whole bigger issue. And I got to tell you, when I read it, and I'm so glad that uh, you know it was just a rumor and it wasn't unfounded. We've got to really worry about this. Yeah, you know, and and it is true. We we need to be very concerned about security. We need to be vigilant. We need to to carefully screen to the best of our abilities uh, the people coming into our country. Um, but but I have a different perspective on it as well. You know, what is distressing to me is that you see all this crap in Facebook and and social media about oh, keep those you know Syrians out and and. And all this kind of stuff. And what if, <laughs> you know, the terrorists don't need to bomb us or strafe a shopping mall with, with AK-47s uh, if they can get us to destroy our society from within. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. You know, we're falling victim to, to xenophobia and fear. And, you know, fear is one thing, and everyone has them, and, and I'm fearful too. But, but damn it, you shouldn't let your fears overcome your principles and and there are you know this is a country that that around the world for close to 200 years now people have looked at as as a beacon of freedom and opportunity um and you know we've we've got words inscribed on on the statue of liberty from emma lazarus you know give us your tired your poor you know your your huddled masses yearning to breathe free and yet we are we are discarding those very ideals based on nothing more than fear. You know, freedom is a I, I'm preaching here, but damn it, freedom freedom is a messy proposition. It costs. We have to pay for it every day. Uh, and as Ben Franklin said, you know, those who would who would give up essential liberty for temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And and I agree wholeheartedly. I, I don't think we should let fear of terrorism uh, make us compromise our own ideals. If we do that, then then ISIS has won, and they never had to fire a damn shot. Yeah, but one of the things that I think, and I take the other side of it, you know, I, I believe we all immigrated to the United States. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a second generation uh, American. Uh, my grandfather and grandmother came over from the old country and settled in New York City, and then my parents were born, and um, you know. But this is this is some big things, man. I mean, you know, one of the the one of the Syrians that uh, came into Greece on October third was part of this uh, was part of this uh, violence over in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is now proof that some of these Syrian refugees are part of the ISIS movement and part of Al Qaeda, and um, we're letting them into our country now. Am I saying to you that we need to uh, block the borders and not let these people in? I really don't know. But I would really like to see something to the effect of not to let them in the individual states until they are thoroughly checked out via background. And, uh, you know, they just arrested arrested people in Honduras with stolen Greek Greek passports who were trying to get into the United States. Mm -hmm. And... I'm with you 100%. I mean, we're all immigrants when it comes to, 
you know, being mm -hmm. in, in, uh, Americans. And uh, certainly there's been generations and generations of people that have lived here, but we all came to this country. And, and But one of the things that I, I don't want to be haphazard about is giving up our freedom and giving freedom to people who want to harm us. And mm -hmm. uh, I got to tell you, that's where I have a little bit of challenge with that. And I don't know what the answer is. I believe that people should come to the United States. I believe that we should allow people to become citizens. But I don't think it should be at the cost of American lives. Well, you know, and, and I agree with that. Uh, the devil is in the details. How do you, you know, how do you enforce that sort of, those sort of controls? Uh, you know, this... I could make the I could make the same argument for gun control, and you know how I feel about the Second Amendment. You know, what are we going to sacrifice in the name of safety? Are we going to curtail the rights and the freedoms of the ninety nine percent who are are law abiding and peaceful and just want to escape a war torn country uh, in order to protect ourselves from the from the one percent who are bent on doing us harm? And, and if that is the case, if we're willing to do that, well, what other freedoms are we willing to toss out in the name of, uh, of safety? You know, are we going to, you got people saying, you know, well, you know, our, our governors won't let them in. Well, that's not within the rights of those governors. They can't legally keep people out. Right. Even if they were able to have a say in whether they come in or not, uh, other people are saying, well, we shouldn't let them out of their states. We should keep, no, no. We have free movement within our borders in this country. And it's for a damn good reason, you know, that we don't want to get into this papers, please, uh, kind of mentality. You know, there, there have been countries uh, who, who united uh, against what they perceived was a threat, uh, and, uh, and, and horrible things happened. You know, Germany and the Jews, um, we interned Japanese prisoners of war, citizens of our own country, and interned them during World War II. That was a black mark on our history. Um, and hell, we, apparently we haven't learned the lessons of history very well because we're intent on doing it again. Um, <laughs> you know, or maybe we have learned to hit the, the lessons of history. You know, there were a, a fairly peaceful people that, that um, interlopers came from over the sea and totally ruined their way of life. They were called the Native Americans, and we're the guys that did it. Right. Uh, so maybe they have learned their, yeah, we don't want them to do to us what we did to, uh, to Native Americans. But uh, I, I just think there, there should be some compromise between security and American ideals, and we, we should be able to find that compromise. Till then, we, we pray for the people in Paris and uh, stay vigilant on our own shores. It could happen over here, and it probably will. The question is, are we going to let it ruin our country because, uh, if it happens? One of the things that I want to bring up, you know, uh, we, are, you know we are talking a little bit about politics, and that's something that you and I don't normally do but this is yeah. this is such a global issue that uh, there are a lot of EMTs and paramedics partners sitting in the truck talking about this issue one of the things that I do want to bring up though is this should be a great opportunity for you and your EMS system to look at what's going on in Paris and and drill like it just happened in your community mm -hmm. so you saw what happened you saw it play how it played out Sit down with your leadership team, sit down with your workforce, sit down with your first responders, and develop a plan that if this happened at the corner of Main Street and uh, you, uh, whatever it is, how are we going to deal with it? Learn from this opportunity, learn from this uh, horrible event, and develop a plan that if it happens in your community, that you're going to be prepared to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, don't. Don't wait. I mean, it seems 
seems a little uh, crass to suggest this as a training opportunity, but that's exactly what it is. You know, and the price, the you know, uh, vigilance is going to require that we we uh, train for this sort of thing and be ready should it happen. Um, and this is this is an excellent opportunity for that. God knows that uh, that uh, the bombing attacks on Paris drove the point home that it can happen uh, and probably will. Uh, and we don't want to pay the, pay the price of being unprepared. So just one more thing, Kelly, before I give it back to you for yeah. the next news story. If you want to infiltrate from Louisiana and come to Missouri, I will put you up at my house. <laughs> okay. Well, well, all right. I appreciate that, man. Um, uh, I get the bed. You get, you move to the couch. Is that how that works? I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> don't push it. But uh, let's all go. Right. What do you got next? Our, our next story comes out of Dudley, England. Uh, it's, it would seem that uh, government officials in England are, are finally starting to do, uh, or they have caught on that, that violence against EMS providers is un- unacceptable, uh, and they are advocating for imposing stiffer penalties on, on uh, uh, people who assault EMS staff. Um, this comes from uh, a story out of Dudley, England. Officials call on judges to impose the highest possible penalties and sentences on members of the public who assault EMS staff. Uh, over the past six months, paramedics in that uh, West Midlands region of England have been assaulted in various ways. Uh, and it would seem that uh, the pe- uh, officials from the National Health Service are finally uh, cognizant of the problem and are taking steps to, to do something about it. Um, this is something that is long since past due in the United States. Uh, you know, we've got our, our set of an- evangelists out there preaching the message, but the, still, uh, in, in much of, of our profession, you know, it looks like, or in much of our profession, it, that sort of thing is accepted as a given that, you know, uh, if you're going to get punched or kicked or spat on or cursed or, or whatever, and that's just part of the job, uh, it doesn't need to be. And uh, in England, it looks like they're, uh, they're starting to do something about it. Now, let's get the public officials in the United States on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I when I saw this, I, I applauded as well. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot more, um, you know, and you and I do have a difference in is it happening more or is it just prevalent because of, you know, the 24-hour news sources. But there are challenges when it comes to um, ensuring that our EMS providers are going to be safe. And you and I, Kelly, it seems that over the past year, this has been one of the topics that we've talked about the most. And, uh, you know, as we get ready for our, our end of year show, is this going to be one of the, you know, the top stories that uh, make the top five uh, for the year 2015? Yeah. But I agree with you 100%. And I think we really have to become vigilant to the point and our lawmakers have to be able to, you know, come out with something that say, if you assault an EMS worker, and I got to tell you, a lot of states already have this. It's a felony offense. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, there, people need to know that you can't mess with us because uh, you know this is going to be really bad for the folks. Um, one day we're going to lose somebody, uh, lose somebody in our career field, and I'm knocking on wood that it doesn't happen uh, because uh, they were attacked or and uh, assaulted by uh, a patient. You know, it's it is a felony offense in many states, but the problem is, is it's re- it is rarely prosecuted as a felony offense. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, prosecutors with backlogs of cases and, and the, the 
ugly truth is, is it's, it's far simpler to charge them with something and then plead it down to a, a misdemeanor or, a, or another lesser offense. Um, and, and the people do not get the punishment that they deserve. Uh, it's expedient justice, not necessarily moral. Um, I, I think it quite telling that, that the regional security manager for the National Health Service, uh, Steve Keller, says that the fact that some of our staff do not report cases of violence because they do not believe that enough action will be taken against the perpetrator is a sad reflection on how they feel. Brother, that is, that is us in the United States as well, uh, in spades. Uh, a whole lot of attacks do not go reported because, you know, we just, hey, this is, you know, embrace the suck. This is, this is our job and, and we have to put up with this kind of stuff. And even if we did complain, nobody cares enough to do anything about it. You know, in my career, I learned one thing that, you know, we, we may have got into this job, uh, got into this career because we were content to be paid in job satisfaction. Uh, if that is still the case, uh, then one thing that would immensely uh, increase our job satisfaction pay is is the public uh, and the people we serve taking a stand against violence against EMS providers and, and putting you know putting their, their uh, some teeth uh, in the uh, in the statutes against it you know and actually prosecuting. I guess it's to me for the last one. Yeah. And you know I don't really have a news story here, but uh, this this is something that you and I said we were going to spend 2015 being an advocate for. And yesterday, uh, EMS News in Focus, uh, Artsia, did a did a great article, and uh, it was why the mentally ill don't receive the attention they deserve. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have the opportunity, go ahead and check out Art's article and and really kind of understand it. You know, the byline is mental health care continues to be poorly funded, inadequately managed, and under-recognized by politicians and policymakers. And we still see our peers, you know, killing themselves, uh, not getting the help that they need. The stigma in EMS is still high when it comes to mental illness. And, mm -hmm. and really, that's what it comes down to. When, when our peers are depressed, when our peers are thinking about suicide, this is a mental illness. And we've created an environment in our career field that doesn't sympathize with our peers. And, you know, we're going to start to see some, you know, mental health issues is in every single state. And when you look at community, uh, community needs assessments as you start to develop these community paramedic programs, it's always mental health, mental health, mental health. Now, mm -hmm. uh, another thing that's going to be very challenging is all these veterans that are coming out of the war we are going to wind up taking care of them mentally for years and years and years. Yep. The things that we asked them to do over there and the things that they did, and you read some of these firsthand accounts and these, these autobiographies that we're getting now, um, there is going to be a big PTSD issue uh, for years to come. You, you, know, you think the war costs a lot of money? The amount mm -hmm. of money that we're going to spend on the care of our veterans is going to probably surpass that in the next 20 years. But one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to realize that this is real. It's real for our veterans. It's real for our homeless people. It's real for our people in corporate America. It's real for that ex-wife that I had. I don't even want to talk about that. But it's <laughs> well, also you, you are you are a major PTSD trigger, Chris. Thank you very much. That's not what I meant, though. But um, you know, but you know what I mean, Kelly. Where, yeah. Where's the where's the end, man? How, how do we get to the point of saying? We recognize that mental health is real, and we got to fix it. I've considered myself all my adult life as being a, a Reagan Republican. 
Um, but Ronald Reagan was, was the man primarily responsible for the dismantling of our, our mental health system. Uh, and, and to this day, we're still feeling the after effects of that, or, or, or more properly, the, the effects of not having a system in place. Uh, because what we, it would be perverse, uh, a lie to call what we have now uh, a system. Um, but you mentioned, you know, the, the, the toll of PTSD uh, and depression and mental illness that we're going to be paying for generations to come uh, because of uh, all the, the veterans who have who've returned uh, from overseas mentally, uh, physically whole uh, for the most part, but, but mentally and, and emotionally uh, scarred and wounded. Um, and, and that's also going to be, that's not just for the general public. Uh, it, it's going to, uh, EMS is going to, I think, pay a proportionately higher toll because uh, in their their reintegration into society, um, where are many of these guys going? Into EMS and public safety. And I mean, because we share a professional ethos. These guys are, are they, they got into the military because, uh, I mean, they're the warriors, but they're also the the uh, the protectors. And that's what they see themselves as. And, and and, and we share a common mindset in that regard. So a lot of these guys, when they come back into uh, into civilian society, are are integrating into public safety and 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 EMS fields, uh, and, and they're bringing those those scars, those those internal battle scars, with them. These guys are are our brothers and colleagues, and we've got to not only look out for uh, for the general public and and erase the stigma of mental illness uh, among the general public and look at these people as, as human beings and not as burdens. Uh, but we also have to realize that these are our, our brothers and sisters in EMS. Um, and you should never, ever let a friend uh, have depression whispering dark things in one ear without you sitting at the other side uh, whispering bullshit that that's all a lie. We've got to do that for each other. There's no way around it. All right. But that's what I think. We'd like to hear what you think. So drop us a line at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll catch you guys next week.